Have you seen our new cover art for our podcast? It's all the talk of, it, okay, one person texted me about it and said it lo- it looked good. So it's all the talk. It's definitely all the rage. Yeah. Everybody's talking about it. No, it was time for a fresh update uh, to the podcast. So we updated the cover art as well, which is a little more Malawi specific now instead of us a in picture of us in Kentucky. So uh, hopefully you like it, you know, like the podcast, rate and review it if you like the cover art. That's the real <laughs> the real meaning of a podcast. Of course. Is the cover art. Uh, it's April. Life is happening. <laughs> we had Easter. We, we had are... Good Friday and Easter and all that stuff. We did. The rains here, rainy season is coming to an end. Yeah, it hasn't um, rained in several days. Yeah. They're getting so, farther between. Yeah, so that was a good thing. Uh, we needed it to end because of the uh, cyclone flooding, uh, which uh, we really did not need any more water. In fact, in, in the building we're in. Uh, which the, is the school building. The school building, the office building. We, have, we don't have gutters like in america that are up on the roof and then the water comes down instead our gutters are on the ground which are these little rain ditches yeah rain ditches and then the water flows away from the building in these little little ditches and so since the cyclone uh our rain ditch in front of this building has just been a constant stream of water just coming out of the mountain yeah from behind the building. Yeah, it's like a a, a spring has been created. Uh, but I think it's dry today, isn't it? it? It was almost dry yesterday. I was not thinking about it as I walked in today, so I don't know. You just were down there. I so. was. I'm pretty sure it's dry now. Yeah. But so that's been, what, a month? Over a month, right? Um, yeah. Since the cyclone started. So it took a month for it to, to stop flowing, if you have any idea of the amount of water that we've had here. Um, just to give everybody, I guess we probably should give everybody an update on the cyclone and our response since we did an entire episode on yeah, that. Yeah, so you've been out, Isaac's been out, uh, Michael. Mato- Michael's been out in the lower Sheary looking at Yeah, the we, we really wanted to do a thorough investigation, so we did. Um, I just went out one day, and there's a video on YouTube uh, showing my experience so that you could see it firsthand, but uh, the director in the Lower Shiri has visited every region of the Lower Shiri, uh, not every church, obviously, that would be quite the task, uh, but he has has visited and sampled every part of the Lower Shiri where we have ministry there. And then the same thing for Isaac, who's the director here in the Zamba area. He visited each region, met with each uh, regional coordinator, saw some of the damage in the houses, and then uh, we were able to then come back with that information as a team. We had one meeting in particular where we had everything on the table, all the different ideas of how we could respond a lot of good ideas uh, and a lot of debate that we had as a team. I just, you know, I didn't want to make an executive decision yeah. about this. I wanted to hear from the team themselves, you know, what should we do? And so there were all kinds of ideas and a lot of good ideas. But in the end, 
we decided that with the money that we had raised and with the needs that we saw, the best thing to do was buy um, a lot of maize, uh, which uh, I get used to saying maize. I, f- I forget that our American listeners might not realize I'm just talking about corn. Um, and, and of course, why why corn? Uh, because it is the staple food of Malawi. Yeah. They grind it into a flour to make what they call nsima, um, which is like, I compare it to like really thick mashed potatoes kind of. Yeah. They ball it up and eat it with their hands. It's their it's their starch part of their meal. It's the equivalent of, of bread. You know, if you had a grandfather that couldn't eat a meal without having a roll or cornbread or something. Yeah. And that's the concept, you know, it grew up. That was the staple. That's what filled your stomach and, and Seema's that here, which is made out of corn. So, um, you know, what we found out visiting is that, uh, there are a lot of areas that are going to be able to grow some secondary crops, um, starting now, they're planting things, and then by August or September, they'll be harvesting things. For example, uh, in in one in a lot of areas right now, they'll be planting sweet potatoes. They'll be planting cassava. So by by that time, those those plants and cassava is kind of similar to sweet potato. If people don't know, it's a root yeah. vegetable starchier starchy root vegetable but it fills fills you up and is actually quite nutritious i think um probably compared to maize compared to compared to maize yeah um so that's coming down the the pipeline and then also along the riverbanks where we've had all this flooding they'll be planting maize now that will be growing based on the moisture that's already in the soil. And then Mm. by August and September, they'll be harvesting that. Um, So uh, we have the hope that there's going to be, Malawians are going to be growing their own food, uh, at least many of them, by that time period. So the biggest need was to help people between Now now and then. So that was why we landed on this idea of um, of buying maize and distributing it to the churches. Uh, so right now we're in the process. We're buying it right now as we speak. We have people out buying about 80 tons of maize. It's a lot of maize. It's a lot of maize. Uh, but, you know, when you talk about we have about 165 uh, partner churches and distributing that uh, because almost all of them are affected. Um, that means that it really becomes quite little once it gets gets out there to those people. So uh, our goal was to buy as much as possible and so it not be nothing when yeah. it gets to them. And so I, I'm pretty proud of the project we're undertaking. Hopefully in in the next month, we'll have finished purchasing. We'll be getting it to them. Uh, and then there are other things we're doing, like our church here at Gospel Life Baptist Church. Um, we're going to have a special offering next week. Did you catch that? I know you had to leave service um, early. I knew about it, and, and they're taking up clothes donations too, right? Yes, so our church of Malawians is donating clothes this Sunday uh, to help other Malawians uh, who have lost everything. So 
Um, I, I was really proud of that idea that came up from, from the team and from the pastors of Gospel Life Baptist Church because it just showed a, a spirit of we, we need to do things ourselves for our own people. And we're going to encourage them with that. I think we're going to purchase some, this, this will sound weird to our listeners, some bales of clothing. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to explain what a bale of clothing is in Malawi? So here, um, I'm pretty sure it comes mostly from secondhand shops like Goodwill, but also some similar places in, in Europe as yeah. well. And... And there are just these huge bales of of clothes, and they stuff these sacks as as full as they can get them, and um and you can buy clothes by the bale, and it's I'm pretty sure the bales are usually categorized, right? Like you can get a bale of I dresses. think you can you can get like bales of certain types of clothes sometimes or a certain or like female clothes or male clothes but sometimes I think you can also buy what we might call a wild card mm. bale like it could be anything. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's how so we've got some secondhand shops here in Malawi and we have other people who just will buy a bale and then sell what's in it uh, kind of as their own little yeah. business. Um, They'll make money by reselling each item yeah. Um, locally. Yeah. So that's what we mean by a bale of clothing. We're going to buy a few bales to add to what the church is taking up and then distribute those, especially in our closest places um, where we've seen people literally all their clothes, everything. Everything they own. Just the away. clothes they have on their back is, is all they have. Do you know the plan for distribution? Yes. Um, of the clothes or the maize? The clothes. The clothes, yeah. So we're going to gather this and then we're going to work together to sort them into different. I don't know if we call it outfits or here's some clothes for kids, here's some clothes mm -hmm. for women. We're going to sort that and then we're going to go to the district that is closest to us that was hardest hit. Um, and this district, I mean, it's still flooded. Yeah. And there's still parts that are, are impassable and flooded. So we're going to that area and we're going to meet with the coordinator and, um, distribute through the coordinator's guidance. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So so that's the plans if you gave uh, to disaster relief. We're so thankful for what you've you've given. We've been blown away by what was given to us and also through our partners Eric and Stephanie Chapman. And we'll keep you updated as we actually execute these things, but just wanted everybody to know where we're at and what the direction we're headed. Um but that's not what today's show is about. Nope. We are talking today about Gospel Life Press and our first book with Gospel Life Press, The Bible Guidebook. Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Stacy Lee. We're missionaries in Malawi with Gospel Life. And this is the Gospel Life Podcast, where we talk about Malawi missions and more. So last year, we did a podcast about some of our dreams for the future. Yeah. And in that podcast, we mentioned wanting to have a printing press. Mm -hmm. 
And so we thought it would be interesting today to kind of go into that a little bit more. We have our first book through our own imprint, is what they call it in the publishing world, Gospel Life Press, uh, that Josh just published in, what was that, November, December? Yeah, it was right before Christmas. Yeah. So the Bible Guidebook is now an actual book. You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books. Wherever fine books are sold. In online, not online. not really in person. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the Bible Guidebook. Yeah, so the Bible Guidebook is the first in what I think will be a series of four books, the Gospel Life Guidebook series. Um, and this is a development from our curriculum here at um, Shepherd's Academy. And so you might think of it almost like Um, textbooks that we're creating for our pastors, but we're also printing them in English uh, in the U.S. They're available because I think they're just, they're very accessible outside of of that one context. For for lay people or Sunday school classes or stuff like that, these books are going to be very helpful. So the Bible guidebook is is the first one, and it's it's basically an overview of everything you need to know to study the Bible and understand it. So it is, you, as Dr. Thomas R. Schreiner commented, <laughs> amazingly comprehensive. It is amazingly comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really. I, I had to edit this thing. Yeah, and um, you really talk about literally anything <laughs> everything you need to know yeah. to read the bible background how to study the bible um how to read each genre um lots about the peoples of the old testament and and then there's um the main part of the book is just about each book of the bible yeah yeah so the the thought is we teach pastors who have almost no background in understanding scripture. And um, even the background, if you had a person that grew up secular and knew nothing about the Bible, except maybe something that was on a TV show or something in the U.S., Mm -hmm. and then you started teaching them the background, even they would at least have a general historical knowledge yeah. from public school that would help them understand. I yeah. mean, they they might have it all muddled in their head and didn't get a good education, but they at least have heard of the Babylonians, have a general idea of, right. of what they were like and where they're from and that, and that kind of thing. And, and, but we're, we're teaching people that really don't know anything in terms of background knowledge to help them understand what's happening in the Bible. Yeah. So that's where I started. Um, this, this is not meant to be comprehensive. It's not meant to be the best thing that's ever been written about the Bible. It's meant to be simple starting from square one. And so that's what we created. I mean, that's why uh, one of the, probably the most unique aspects of the book is the section on ancient world history. Mm. where I go through every section of history. I felt like that was an important part just to say, 
these are different time periods that were dominated by different peoples. And mm -hmm. this is some basic things you need to know about the Egyptians, about the Canaanites, about the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans. And, um, because we just, we assume so much knowledge coming from a Western standpoint when yeah. we talk about the Bible that um, you can't assume in other contexts like like the one that we work in. Right. So that that's the big concept of, mm -hmm. of the Bible guidebook. Yeah. I think one of your favorite parts may have been making all of the maps. Uh, I, I enjoyed it to a degree, making maps in Adobe Illustrator, but I also started getting very frustrated because it's not what I do, but... We felt like it was important for us to make our own maps that we owned the copyright of. I mean, you will not, maybe people do believe this, but but um, there's just a real problematic attitude in Christian publishing industry uh, about uh, proprietary rights and copyrights and stuff. I, I think it's a really unbiblical attitude, to be honest. Boom. Um, about it. Well, I mean, there are people who've written and done a lot more on this. Uh, one, a great book on this is The Dorian Principle, mm -hmm. D-O-R-E-A-N, and it's completely free because this guy, this guy, um, is advocating that we should be giving these kinds of things more freely, more as gifts. And, um, and there's room for debate on, on how publishing ministries should uh, structure themselves and that kind of thing. But what I'm getting at is you can't just make copies of other people's maps. Yeah. So you and put it in your, your book. And so, yeah, we want, one of our goals is for this to be translated and used by ministries like ours around the world mm -hmm. and to be able to get permission from a publisher to use their maps and reproduce them in who knows how many copies in how many languages around. It's just, it's too much of a headache. Yeah. And so to be able to design our own maps, mm -hmm. which are not as good as if you got them from from B and H or Crossway or wherever, uh, they're not as good as what you'll see in your study Bibles, but they're good enough to give people an understanding of where things are, and we can translate them and reproduce them in whatever language we want to. We have the we have the Adobe Illustrator files, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, so much of this <laughs> is necessary just because of the the mentality that is in American Christian publishing. And there's so many great people, I don't wanna speak bad, but they're really just fundamentally, the mm. system is flawed. And there's great people working in that system, trying to do their best yeah. within the system. But I think we've we've really messed up in the way we think about uh, publishing as a, as a Christian ministry. It's really a Christian business. Which I feel like is probably tricky because they have to make money to stay in business, right? In, in order to be able to continue providing those resources. Abs absolutely. Um, and that's the, that's the source of debate. How much, um, how much should you worry about your proprietary rights um, compared to um, how much should you be willing to give away? So, for example, let's talk about Gospel Life Press's business model, if you will, uh -huh. which is not much of a business model. It's not like we're 
we've sold like 35 copies at this point. So <laughs> it's like a hundred dollars profit. But, um, but the point is we are, we are selling these mm -hmm. in the U S we're not, but at the same time, if you go to our website, gospellife.org slash books, and you want a PDF copy of this book, you can download it for free. Yeah. Okay. We're giving that away. Mm -hmm. We're giving it away to other ministries that want to translate it into other languages. We'll be printing it in and either selling it at cost or giving it away here in Malawi. But what we're doing is we're, we make a little bit of a profit on selling the physical and like Kindle copies mm -hmm. in the U.S. in order to feed that into the system, into gospel life. Yeah. So that we can fund helping to to print them for pastors around the world. Um, so that's the that's the model we're coming with. But at the same time, if you don't want a physical copy or you don't want a copy on your Kindle, just download the PDF. You can have it completely for free. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Yeah. And obviously we are translating this into Chichewa. Yes. I think that translation should be getting close to completion, right? Should be, should be. Um, and then you've also had someone request to translate it into French and Hausa. Yeah. And they're working so, on that. So that's a ministry in uh, West Africa uh, called Axis Ministries that liked uh, what we did and said, hey, we want to get this for our pastors. So they're doing that. And if you don't know, French is the trade language in that part of Africa. So mm -hmm. that's why they want to do it in French. And then Hausa is another major language there. Um, and so uh, that's that's really the vision. We, we know we're not going to just, this is not going to be a, on the best-selling list in Christian publishing <laughs> in the U.S. We That was never the point. Um, but the point is to give a resource that is effective for pastors around the globe who most have a low literacy rate. Yeah. Yeah. So this, if you read this, I, I avoid a lot of specialized vocabulary whenever I use specialized biblical studies or theological vocabulary. I always explain it. I always am assuming that people are starting from zero. So you said that this was the first in a series. Tell yeah. us what else you have in mind. Yeah, so the other ones that uh, I'm working on, probably the next one to come out, maybe by the end of this year, will be called The Gospel Guidebook. And that will be focused on um, first steps discipleship. Uh, so we have a curriculum that we are already using in Malawi, it starts with what is the gospel mm -hmm. and explaining the gospel in, in more depth, both so people understand the gospel and make sure they've believed and also so they can share the gospel themselves effectively and clearly. And then we move on from there to uh, what I would call short-term and mid-term discipleship. So someone believes the gospel, where do we start with them? Mm-hmm. Um, so what is baptism, uh, reading your Bible, going to church, you know, what are these important things that a new believer needs to do to grow in Christ? So we go through each of those things. Uh, we're also going to be adding, I think, a part about, uh, family. 
So much needed here. Yeah. How does how does what does the Bible teach us? How does the gospel change our relationships in our marriage in, in, with our children? And also, uh, I have Isaac, um, our colleague here, working on a section about finances uh, because obviously the Bible says a lot about money. It does, and that's a major part of discipleship. Um, and I asked Isaac to do it because he can he can bring us from a more uh, agricultural based society perspective. You know, I can't just translate Dave Ramsey in, right. <laughs> into Chichewa and let it uh, make sense. Right. Um, so we're we're thinking, okay, what principles from Proverbs or from Jesus's teaching about money um, that are quite universal, uh, but how can we teach them in a way that um, that people who aren't, you know, talking about a 401k or making <laughs> $30,000 or $50,000 or $60,000 a year, how can they take those same biblical principles and apply it to their lives? And then the final section will be about church planting, which you, you might be surprised that we would put a section about church planting in a basic discipleship book, mm-hmm. but it's, it's our mentality that um, sharing the gospel and starting other churches is not something you wait to do until you know you hear you know ten years into the faith. It's something that we want to start training people to do well and biblically and carefully from the very beginning, especially when we're talking about training pastors. Yeah. So uh, we want you to start churches even while you still are learning so much yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to make mistakes, uh, but we want to just be have this mentality that church planting is part of the DNA of what we do. So that would be, that would be kind of in, in terms of a series. Right. Um, if you think about books ordered as one, two, three, four, that would actually be book one. Oh, yeah. Even though it's the second one probably published. So we can have like a Chronicles of Narnia debate. <laughs> about what order to read them yeah. in. <laughs> Chronological order or publication order. And the correct answer is always publication order. For Narnia, for, for sure. For Narnia. Yeah. You should always read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first. That should be unquestionable. That's Christian orthodoxy. Um <laughs> uh, but uh, with the guidebook series, um, in terms of teaching, the gospel guidebook will be number one, then the Bible guidebook, then the theology guidebook, which will be a basic systematic theology. And added to that in, in these comprehensive ways of thinking is a basic church history, because church history helps us understand theology, mm-hmm. and a basic understanding of heresy. So um, what does Islam teach? What do the Jehovah's Witnesses teach? Um, What does the prosperity gospel teach? And let's compare that to the sound doctrine. Yeah. Um, So that's going to be another big one. And then the last one is going to be the pastor guidebook, which is all about preaching and pastoral ministry and how to lead a church. Very practical. That's really cool. You know what amazes me in hearing you talk about all of this is that as a missionary, as the only American missionary in our small operation we got going on here, 
um, you have to be able to know and teach and write about all of these things. Like in a seminary, you've got one guy talking about biblical theology and yep. one guy talking about pastoral ministry. And you're like, you're talking about all of it. Yeah, of course, you know, we have we have others and we're training others so that I don't have to talk about all of it. But it, at the same time, it's like a pastor. A pastor has to know about all these things. And that's why the MDiv, uh, Master of Divinity, has been uh, traditionally the standard degree for pastors. Um, and I don't think that that should change. It kind of is changing in America, but I don't think it should change because... If you're going to be a pastor leading a church, you need to know Greek and Hebrew. Yeah. You need to know church history. You need to know your systematic theology. Um, you need to know about all of these things because as a practitioner, you're putting all these things into practice yeah. in the local church. And so, you know, we are um, pastor training you know, school, but we're also practitioners. It's good for me and others to know and be able to teach all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that's part of what makes makes this job so fun. You know, if I was just teaching the same Old Testament survey class every semester, I might get a little bored uh, with it. I don't know. You certainly don't get bored here. No, I certainly don't. We we uh we feel a lot of things and boredom is pretty much never one of them. That's true. <laughs> now it's time for a cultural tidbit, our first cultural tidbit of season four. So you got quite the compliment earlier today, and we thought it would be a good source uh, for the cultural tidbit. I did. I met with one of our regional coordinators, not met with, but met uh, for the first time since we left Malawi last year. And the first thing he said was, you have gotten fat. <laughs> You've and I gotten said, fat. Thank you. Yeah. You said thank you because you knew he meant it as a compliment. He did. So he, this particular coordinator is so funny sometimes when we have american guests we take him out them out to his church because mm. his english is so good and he's a good translator and it's not too far and he is he always so proudly introduces his fat wife yeah uh and she just sits there and smiles like they're super proud yes that she is fat yes and Americans, of course, never know how to react to that. <laughs> you know, like, are you like, oh, no, or are you like, uh, do you agree? Like, it's yeah. super uncomfortable. But, yeah, um, yeah. so <laughs> we thought we'd use that as the cultural tendency. So why, for people who, who haven't ever thought of this before, why would it be a compliment to say that you were fat? Well, especially out in the villages, it's a compliment because that means you can afford food. Yeah. Um, and so, probably and he's too, taking good care of his wife. Yeah. Probably too. It means you don't have to work so hard. Yeah. Um, you're able to have a little bit more leisure, which lets you pack on the pounds a little bit more. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, but also just in Malawi in general, even in the cities, it's just so much more common to comment on people's bodies. Yeah, and it's not. It's not such a loaded thing for mm-hmm. most people here like it is there. It's just a topic of conversation, like the weather. Oh, it might rain today. Hey, you've gained weight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which has been really interesting. It's been difficult, um, especially, you know, our girls, they came here pre-puberty and yeah. um, having those comments being sent their direction as they have grown up has been difficult for them at times. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we're just going to be honest. We did gain a little bit of weight while we were in America. You did too. I did. Yes, I did. He didn't call you fat though, did he? No, I guess it's not as big a deal (laughs) if the guy gets fat. I don't know. I guess not. Yeah. Um, we did. We're just being honest. We know we've got some work to do now that we're back here. Um, we let ourselves really enjoy a lot of that amazing American junk food yeah. that we can't get here. Yeah, but apparently it makes you look better. Uh, according to him. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite the compliment. You look much healthier now. You You must have looked like you were so skinny you were about to die before. Yeah, I guess so. Did it, I tell you that... Um, Janet said when we came back, she thought I was pregnant. Oh, wow. Because I had there gained weight. There you go. But I it, am not. That reminded me, it is somewhat akin to if you ever had a grandmother, uh, like an old country grandmother that was like, you're getting too skinny. You're, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of the opposite, the concern that you're not eating enough, that you're not healthy because there's no fat on your bones. Yeah. It's kind of the similar reaction so yeah it's true all right well next time guys you see your wife just tell her how fat she's getting and And (laughs) then tell her to listen to this podcast (laughs) as quick as possible god provides for the needs of gospel life through your prayers and gifts to become a prayer or giving partner go to gospellife.org so you've mentioned but we haven't gone very in depth about wanting to have a printing press here in Malawi. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we're working with an organization in the U.S. that helps um, organizations like us get the equipment, get the training to run their own printing media ministries um, around the world. And uh, our, our vision for a media ministry is bigger than printing books. It involves recording videos and audio and all kinds of things, but it also includes in a kind of an important part, the most expensive part of it is printing books. Um, and uh, we, we have several steps to take. I don't know if it'll be this year or next year before we get there. We have to we're going to use initially part of this school building that is right now a storage area. So we have to build a storage building first to move our stored stuff into the storage building. That's about $20,000. And then we'll be have space to buy the printing equipment and get the guys from this ministry in the U.S. to come and train us on it and be able to start printing our own books. And um, what's great about this particular ministry is they work with some ministries in the U.S., like Desiring God and Nine Marks, 
So we'll also have the ability to print English books from those uh, ministries here, but our primary need is to produce um, Chichewa resources and other other uh, native language resources so that um, pastors and church members can really dig in and have things in their own language. Does that also include the rights to translate those books or no, just that, to print them in English? No, that's, that's separately, and that's also something that we're going to be working on once we we get that uh, that equipment going um, because we have kind of brother and sister ministries around the world that do the same thing in their languages uh, but uh, the thing that I was just talking about was printing the English version of of those books for example um, one thing that's very helpful worldwide is nine marks has published these small little books like they mm -hmm. have one on baptism they have one on preaching uh, i have the missions one just over there on my desk and those like small 90 100 page books mm -hmm. are perfect for this kind of of setting um, so those are available to print in english for our english uh, speakers and readers and then that would be the type of resource that we'll look into doing additional translation for in the future. Cool. Yeah. Now, Malawi is primarily an oral culture. A lot of people can't read and write here. Mm -hmm. So why books? Yeah, so it's true that this is an oral culture, and in many ways the U.S. has reverted back to being an oral visual culture. For sure. um, so, you know, we could have that discussion on its own. But yeah, Malawi is primarily an oral culture. It's not a place where you have a bunch of bookstores. It's not like books are an important part of people's lives. Um, there's not many people that you're going to go in their home and see. Like in our house, we have this huge bookshelf filled yeah. with you know, two, three, four hundred books, you know, in our home. Yeah. You know, someone, they might have two or three books that they really care for, that they take mm -hmm. good care of because that's important to them, but it's not the same, same thing. Um, and so, uh, missiologically, you know, I guess maybe I should define that term. You think people understand what I mean missiologically? Um, Probably, but go ahead and define it. Yeah, anyway. so missiologically is the study, missiology is the study of missions mm -hmm. um, as, as a science, as a, um, you know, what is missions, how do we do it, different strategies, that kind of thing. So missiologically, there has been an emphasis in the last 20 to 30 years on um, how do we, uh, how do we reach oral cultures with the gospel mm -hmm. those of us coming from a literate culture how do we reach oral cultures and there's been a lot of great things that have come out of that emphasis and one of those emphases for example is uh chronological storying st or storytelling yeah so you're familiar with that yeah like with the cloths yeah too. yeah so mm -hmm. sometimes you have a cloth with different panels, different pictures of biblical stories. And one of the main methods is called creation to Christ. And it just gives an overview of 
the biblical story yeah. leading up to Christ. It's a way of sharing the gospel. It's a great, great method, uh, but where sometimes missionaries have gone wrong is leaving people there. Mm. So, yeah, it's great to meet people where they are at in their oral culture and share the gospel with them there. And some people, they'll never leave that, that level right. of understanding. That's fine. But uh, one thing the earliest missionaries understood in the modern missions movement, so like William Carey, Adoniram Judson, you know, all of these mm -hmm. missionary heroes, is they understood the importance of translation, the importance of printing, the importance of teaching literacy. So, for example, the early missionaries that come to Malawi um, after David Livingstone under, like, uh, Robert Law, uh, or maybe it's Laws, um, I have to double-check that, um, they start churches, but they also start schools, yeah. To teach people how to read. And they translate the Bible and they translate hymns and they uh, publish things. Um, and it was this idea that, yes, these people don't have a written language. Um, yes, they're an oral culture. But the very fact that our faith is based on the Bible, yeah, which is a written word, mm -hmm. it has an oral history. Yeah, it's, it was directed towards an oral culture. If you're going to understand the Bible, you have to read it with an oral mindset, right? Uh -huh. Especially the Hebrew scriptures, the repetition, the, all those things, the acrostic uh, of Psalm 119. There's all these, these markers in the written word mm -hmm. that this came from an oral culture. The stories about Jesus in the Gospels are passed down orally before they're recorded. So, yeah, it, it's in a sense it's both, but what we have in our hands is a physical written word. Right. Which gives us the understanding that we must teach people to read this book for themselves. Yeah. And part of studying this book, as all of us who have studied the Bible know is having other books that have helped us to understand mm -hmm. the Bible and to learn how to how to apply the Bible and you know all those things that we have in the West. And so the idea that we should just leave people in an oral culture, I think is a wrong mindset. Interesting. I never um, thought about it. It, we have to meet them where they are. Of course, we can't just translate, I don't know, I, we'll talk, my, my doctoral supervisor, my Dr. Vater, <laughs> as we say in German, um, uh, we can't just translate all of Tom Schreiner's books and expect our pastors to benefit from them. <laughs> right. Yeah, as great as, as great as Tom is, He's not writing to them. They're not going to understand They're it. They're not going to get bit. it. Yeah. But that's why Gospel Life Press is so important to write on their level, but also to bridge that gap from oral to literate. Yeah. Both of those things are important. And there's a sense, I think, where because we are in an oral culture, the very fact we are in an oral culture means 
that the books we are printing is going to be more treasured than than books are in a literate culture. Mm, that makes sense because Bec- they just don't have as many. They don't have them. Mm-hmm. That and they and therefore you know, like I said, you go in someone's home, they may have two books, but they have those books wrapped in plastic bags. Mm. You know, they have them in a prominent place in the home. You know, you see them there protected and cared for. They treasure them. They read over them over and over Mm -hmm. again. I mean, it's like Abraham Lincoln, right? Abraham Lincoln, you looked at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Lincoln grows up in a largely oral culture uh-huh. in Kentucky and Southern Indiana, but he learns to read and he treasures books, but there's not a great availability of books mm. at the time. So the books that he does have, he read over and over and over again to the point that he practically memorized them. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, Lincoln, Lincoln knew the King James Bible like the back of his hand because he had read it so many times. Hmm. He knew Homer. He knew all of these, uh, this small amount of books that he had. Mm-hmm. He had read so many times. He knew them almost by heart. And, um, and so that's why we shouldn't just say, well, these are oral people. This is a bad strategy. It's exactly because they're oral that this is such an important strategy. That's really neat. Yeah. Was I a little too forceful there? No, it was good. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's the vision. This, you know, the Bible guidebook is just a start in that vision. Um, any, anything that we, as gospel life make from that book goes back into that ministry, but also, you know, maybe, maybe people out there, they want to be a bigger part of that. And you can always email me and ask, you know, what we need is in terms of major donations and help towards those goals. Yeah. But if you want to support the Bible guidebook and our, our printing projects in a small way, you can just Pick up yourself a copy of it, huh? Yeah, that's right. Gospellife.org slash books. And that's where you have all the links to whatever seller you want to buy it from, Amazon, whatever. Now time for everyone's favorite segment, What You're Reading. What You're Reading. You want me to start? Sure. Okay, so I just finished, so I guess I'm not present tense reading, but that's okay. I just finished Strange New World, subtitle How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution by Carl Truman. Um, Really fantastic and important book. Hmm. Um, It's a condensed version of his 600-page or something book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self which I started on Kindle and never finished. Uh, But this one's just 180 pages, so uh, much simpler. But um, it's about how we have gotten to our current moment culturally in the West, where, you know, transgenderism, uh, gay marriage, all of those things, what are the philosophical steps, the technological steps, the cultural steps, that took us to this point so that we can understand where we are. 
Um, and I find that's very fascinating from a missionary perspective because uh, Western culture is global culture. Yeah. Globalism means that what's happened in the West is is going to happen in the rest of the world mm-hmm. in one way or another. And But most people in other parts of the world don't understand the philosophical underpinnings of what's happened in the West. So um, I think it's just very enlightening and um, going to read it with Haley, our oldest, for her for school. Um, yeah. She had a book in her curriculum that was on postmodernism that was was uh, written in 1994, and I thought that was a little dated. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to kind of update that, and this is an important book as we get her ready to go to college, back to America, into a strange new world so developing that christian worldview that's right that's right so what what are you reading well i also just finished um but thoroughly enjoyed beth moore's new memoir called all my knotted up life Mm -hmm. um i listened to the audiobook version which she reads herself which i feel like um just made it feel so intimate yeah um yeah it was just uh man i just i had no idea what her life had been like yeah i had no idea how hard of a childhood she'd had how difficult her family life was um and even even the things that her husband had been through Mm. in the early years of their marriage like you just, you see her and you think, oh, she's got it all together. She's this upper class white lady who's been teaching the Bible for decades. And mm-hmm. um, I, it was just, it was just fascinating and, and, and sparked so much compassion to read her whole story. Yeah. And... And it was such a good reminder that you don't know anybody's whole story. Yeah. And you can have compassion on people, um, even when their life seems perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, next time we'll tell you again what we're reading. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube at Gospel Life Go.